1: Hello and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and producer. Joining me this week are two sports writers who would never defer to the second half, Detroit Free Press beat writer Chris Solari and Lansing State Journal sports columnist Graham Couch. How are you guys doing today? Chris, I'll start with you.
0: I'm I'm great. Um, I am actually. I'm going to defer to the second half of the season. Um, You know, kind of, kind of, Going to play on the defensive end right now, and hopefully I'll uh, get a little more offensive uh, once you get past the
2: midpoint.
1: Graham, how are you?
2: I am well. I am well. Thank you, Phil.
1: Where do you guys want to start? Let's uh, let's just start with uh, uh, Michigan State football. Obviously, we're coming off another uh, not very good performance from the Spartans on Saturday, and uh, and getting absolutely blown out. And uh, well, they come right back with a with a trip to Maryland, and uh, I, I would say there's certainly some consternation regarding the, the the where this team is at chris had a story go up this morning about the offensive struggles and uh graham had a nice column go up last night too about uh where this program is at right now and the fact that kenneth walker <laughs> the third per- uh, potentially messed up the timeline and all this and now uh, and uh yeah there's just a lot of different discussions going on right now uh graham let me start with you uh uh, and Maryland's come off a game where they look good against Michigan, so I, this is a game I think a lot of people might have penciled as a W at the beginning of the season, but now we might not be so sure.
2: No, I think it's it's a massive game. I mean, Maryland's obviously at some places up to an eight and a half point favorite. Um, that line has kept moving in their favor. Uh, the the remnants of Hurricane Ian make it uh, you know uh, interesting because you you might you're going to get rain probably this weekend, so I don't know to what degree that'll impact the game. But but it, to me, this feels like it, this game here feels like the difference between six and six and three and nine. And I think, you know, and, and last week's game was a, was a big game in a lot of ways, but it was a complete failure. So you're left with trying to figure it out. I mean, you're talking about a team that did not force the opponent to punt and a team that um, got no, did not score until the very end when, you know, backups were in. So a complete failure. Uh, one of the uh, I think uh, up there with the fiascos of in, in Spartan lore, and there have been a few. Um, but this game, if, if they find a way, because here's the thing: Maryland being decent is good in a sense. If they were to play a, a Nebraska team or a Northwestern, somebody that's really down on their luck, somebody that doesn't have a quarterback who can test them or anything like that. And they were to get a win this week, what would it really mean? What they need is to show that they can hang in there, to show that they can beat a competitive team. And if they can do that, then you can see a path toward other wins. Then it can stem the tide. Even though Ohio State could be a bloodbath, uh, it, you know, if they go down there and, and, and things don't look don't look good again, um, you know, I, I think that that three and nine is very likely, and the the chances of winning in you know October are, 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 are probably slim.
0: Yeah, this—I mean, this is a massive swing game.
2: Massive.
0: I mean, you know, you looked at that Minnesota game, and it was, you know, a chance to say, okay, this is, you know, the 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 game. It was at Washington was was the aberration, and you know, things are going smoothly. But with you know with how both of those games played, I mean, you come out of the gate in two games against power five opponents, and three and out, three and out. Both of your first offensive possessions. I mean that that basically sets the tone for the the rest of the the final three quarters in both of those games, and and it's that's the it's the third time this year that the offense has done that. I mean they did that against Western. You can survive it against Western Michigan. You, you're not going to usually survive that kind of I guess offensive shortcomings, and, and then then it around and have your defense on the field for almost 24 minutes of the 30 minutes in the two games in first quarters. I mean, that's, that's a recipe for, for failure right there. And this is a game where you have to show and and come out. I mean, coaches can talk all they want about, you know, we want to come out fast and we want to assert ourselves from the outset. Um, It's more imperative when you haven't done it, you know, at all this season, I mean, the only game that you had, um, was the Akron game and, and Akron is just not a good football bowl subdivision team. Um, you know, uh, this is, it, it. it's, you know, like you said, Graham, I mean, this, this is a swing game that maybe could go from bowl eligible to, to panicking
2: uh, in a hurry. You know, I think the other thing that's, that that's interesting about that is, you know, and I, I talked about this sort of two parallel tracks. I think the program is on where you're on this, you know, re- recruiting and building towards a future that people hope is, you know, competing with Ohio State. And then you've got the here and now. And I I do think that, you know, what we, we, you want to make sure doesn't happen if you're Michigan State is that the here and now impacts that future track. And so into this point, you know, two games that haven't gone well, you haven't seen any public wavering from their uh, you know, 10 four-star pledges in 2023. They picked up a 2024 four-star defensive back the day after the loss to Minnesota, all, all, all good signs. And, and, and you just sort of want, and, and you know, if, if they have a rougher year, but it's, they're competitive and, you know, you know they're six and six on their way up. I, I, but I, I can't see that changing. You do wonder if the wheels really fall off and they lose, and it feels like they've lost a sense of momentum, whether that matters and then the other thing is you just want I think people want a sense of what made last season so enjoyable for people and so and put so much faith I should say in in the coaching staff was this level of competence that they were maximizing what they had and and I think that that um if you lose that sense and that faith that you're able to take whatever talent you have and get the most out of it uh then it then it dings a little of the hope long term too.
1: Yeah, I just uh it was just weird to see this offense just be as flat-out bad as it was uh, against Minnesota, and I, I don't know if Maryland is the elixir for for, for, for that cure or not. Um, Chris, you, I mentioned your story you wrote today, and I just think it's crazy that uh, in the past two games, uh, Michigan State was down 21 nothing after <laughs> going into its seventh offense 25 yeah. No, well, it's, it's it's no. 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 Five.
0: Nothing. Combined so, in the first two first quarters. Yeah.
1: Well, what I, what I was trying to say was sorry. I was trying to make sure I was saying all this right. So, you know, when Michigan State ran its seventh offensive play two weeks ago uh, against Washington, it was down twenty-one nothing. When it ran its seventh offensive play last week against Minnesota, it was down seventeen nothing. It's just like uh, that is those are just not recipes for success uh, in any capacity.
0: No, they're really not. And I mean, you know, if you want the absolute definition of what complementary football can't be, uh, you know, with, uh, with Mel Tucker's phrase, um, you know, you, you need your defense to get off the field on third down to get the ball back to your offense. You need your offense to sustain drives, to keep your defense fresh. Um, Maryland's or Minnesota's defense last week, I think only had 47 plays to defend. and, I mean, that's, if you're only getting 47 plays and your opponent's getting 75 and, you know, they've got nearly 40 minutes of time of possession versus your 20 minutes, well, geez, I mean, you're getting squelched out. I mean, it's, that's not complimentary football. Um, You know, and I, I I mean, I I don't necessarily like that phrase personally because I think there's many levels to football. Good football, bad football, right? I mean, you can say complimentary football um, all you want, but the defense has to defend, and you know some defenses are built to defend longer. This one is not. This, this defense right now has struggled. I mean, wrote about that. It was you know, give, give Scotty Hazelton credit for coming out and and kind of facing some pretty pointed questions uh, about the defensive shortcomings right now. Um, but you know, you can't you know you can't have your defense give up ten or twelve first or third down conversions. I mean that just prolongs their own misery, and there's, you know, the the top layer of depth, you know, is, is gone. You can tell me, you know, coaches and players can can use the phrase next man up, just like complimentary football. It's meaningless when you strip away the top level of depth. I mean, guys are starters for a reason. You know, I mean, I think Tom Izzo's kind of said this before too. It's like you have you have pecking orders, you have talent, you know, experience, and when you lose. The guys that they've lost on the defensive line with Petrosky and Jacob Slade being out and, you know, Simeon Barrow leaving that game uh, a couple times before finally going to the sideline and Chris Bogle doing the same thing and then Maverick Hansen, you know, going down late in the game and then but still coming back. I mean, that's a, that's a significant number. That's, I mean, what, three, five? That's about five of your top six defensive linemen right there. I mean, essentially, the the only starters and second tier guys that weren't affected were Derek Harmon and, uh, and and Jacoby Windman. I mean, you need the bodies, you know. I mean, and, and again, when we we talked about going into the season from the pass defense standpoint, I was adamant about how Darius Snow was was critical for that that pass defense being able to give you the speed guy. At linebacker who could chase sideline to sideline, can cover over the middle. Well, you're back to having a couple guys that are, that are basically 4-3 linebackers trying to play a 4-2-5, and, you know, it, they're getting exposed. And then you take out Xavier Henderson, and you lose two guys with Snow and Henderson who are the nerve center of the defense. They're replaced by a, a, a former Division two guy in Kendall Brooks, Um you know, you, you you had issues with the nickel back with Chester Kimber. You got another former Division two guy in Justin White in there. I mean, you know, the, the drop off is steep and significant. And that was all that was something twenty twenty Mel Tucker talked about with the secondary. And they're still, you know, his recruits are what freshmen, yeah. redshirt freshmen and sophomores right now. So and really, they, need, they they need those younger guys to catch up that they brought in in a hurry. Now, right? I mean, they're not they can't wait anymore.
2: Yeah, and really, I mean, and in terms of, you know, judging him and expecting, mean, like, th- the hard part about what what's happened, you know, I, for a long time, and I misread this part of it, I thought the D'Antonio timing of the retirement actually didn't hurt MSU, and I would say things like, well, they, they wound up getting Mel Tucker, it, it gave them different advantages, different timetable, it didn't really hurt, the pandemic came anyway, but where it affected them, and the pandemic had more of an effect, but... But it, it was one more recruiting class and probably the weakest. Like the 2019 class, you look at how many guys are in there. It's, it is a pretty decent class from D'Antonio, actually. The, the 2020 class, not so much. And that class is not even yet in its peak performance years when it's sort of infiltrating the, the roster. And, and so that most coaches if you, in, in normal times, especially back in the day when you uh, the only signing day was February, but most coaches, if you're hired – on Thanksgiving weekend or the beginning of December or whatever it might be. Um, that would be, even if you're putting it together quickly, there might be guys you had recruited at your old school, whatever. Those are your guys. And so that's, that's a recruiting class you lost that most people don't lose coming into their first year. You lose the the class because of COVID in a sense. And, and there's some players in that 2021 uh, class that are, are good players, but that those are, you know, the zoom babies as he calls them. And, and, Guys who committed without having campus tours, they didn't really – I mean, that was a tough deal, a lot of dead periods in recruiting. And so I don't think that's really a fair class either. So the, the class, you're judging them on. If, if we usually judge a, a, a coach in year four, that's – when I think it's fair. A lot of programs fire a coach for year four. But when it's truly fair – and there are signs things are going south before then, I, I understand firing a coach. But if you want to know what a coach's ceiling might be, where that program might head – Year four is the beginning to be fair. I think when their earliest kids are upperclassmen, you're starting to see their, their younger their, their second and third classes ever, you know, throughout the program. This year, for for Mel Tucker, in some ways, it, it's year six. Because that, that is when this first class that's on campus now as a freshman, as a true freshman, will be seniors and red shirt juniors. And um, and you know, the 2023 kids won't be. Mainstays on the roster for a couple years, really. And so that, you know, there's going to be, I think that's the thing that's going to be hardest is there's going to be a, a stretch of time where there are going to be holes on the roster that they're going to be trying to fill through the transfer portal. And as we're seeing now, you know, you do strike gold with the Kemp Walker, and they've had some other good transfers, but it, it, that's a hard way to completely, uh, you know, fill every gap in the roster and, and, and get yourself to a certain level. And, and they're, they're just not there right now.
0: Well, I I want to touch on a couple of things that you mentioned there, Graham.
2: Um, You know,
0: I'll get back to the transfer portal stuff, because I think that's an important component to discuss. But I'm going to start with the outbound stuff, the outbound transfer portal stuff, because you you talk about Tucker's first class. I mean, you know, six of the guys in that first class are gone. Um, Tyson Watson, Alex O'Kello never made it to campus, Michael Gravely. Ricky, uh, excuse me. Um, let's see. I'm missing a few guys here. Antoine Booth, Cameron Allen, um, those guys are all gone. Stephon Johnson never made it to campus, and then you know Hampton Fay is the the quarterback has moved to safety. So yep. that's the first recruiting class, and those are the Zoom babies. And that class has been hit hard. <clears throat> and then you talk about the 2020 class. There's not much left of that 2020 class. No, no. Ricky White. Ricky White's gone. Darius Snow's out for the season. Terry Lockett's been hurt. Ian Stewart's gone. Devin hightower has gone. Tommy Guajardo's gone. Kyle King's gone. Um, Chris Mayfield's gone. Um, Josiah Robinson gone. Justin Stevens gone. Jack Olson gone. Donovan Eagle gone. That's a lot of bodies to lose in two classes.
2: No doubt, and you know what?
0: That's a lot. I mean, so so you're so when you look for those younger guys to kind of step up. You got to understand those, you know, there, there were either, you can call those whiffs or you can call them, you know, product of a coaching change and not fitting a scheme and system. But, but that's a lot of bodies to lose. And then the portal stuff, you know, the Kenneth Walker, I, I think Kenneth Walker really kind of gave a little bit of false hope to what the portal really is. You're not, I mean, those, the, the hitting gold like that, is rare, you know, look, you just look at uh, across the ball last year with Alvarez Crouch. He came in with huge expectations as a four, former four-star guy and lasted not even a year in, in terms of what he did because you're, you're getting another program's leftovers in some ways. I don't want to, you know, I mean, so everybody that goes into the portal wasn't playing at their previous stop for a reason. You know, otherwise, if you're a guy like Amir Speed and you're a graduate transfer, why wouldn't you stay at Georgia and try and win another national title? I mean, it's, you know, some of it's, sometimes, sometimes there's academics involved where it's like, oh, I'm going to go into a master's program and sometimes I'm going to change my major and I need to go somewhere else. But that's generally not what the football decisions are about.
2: You know, yeah, no, you make a great point. And I had somebody tell me once, this is about junior college, uh, transfers, but it this is years before the transfer portal. But it it certainly, um, I think, fits exactly what you said. You know, it said with a JUCO transfer, there's always a reason they were JUCO transfer. Now it could be a different reason. They're not all bad reasons, but there's always a reason. You have to understand the reason, right? And if you have too many of those guys, yeah. it infiltrates your culture, and it's and it's an issue. And and I think you're 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 dead on on uh, the idea that somebody didn't work out someplace else for whatever reason, or was looking for something new. And in some ways. The best guys to get, you know, and, and are the guys who are at maybe a, a mid-major or, or a program that's not doing as well that just want to win or be part of something different. And but their own production and opportunities were great because then then they're leaving for a reason to be part of something different, right? And and those guys are are probably the the, the safest bets um, to get. And I also think there's there's an element of, you know, there's a question of some of the guys who left late in the, from the D'Antonio era that are, and, and I've I got, I've mentioned these guys in the column I wrote uh, that, that went up uh, Wednesday night, you know, Julian Barnett, was in Memphis, Chris Jackson, Washington state, Davion Williams, Western Kentucky, Kaylon Gurban Kansas. Uh, and then those are all corner safety. Michael Dow at Miami, Ohio at eight tackles last week against Northwestern. And I'm not saying, look, th- those guys, are, I'm not saying all those guys would have been helpful if they were around. They, they left for different reasons and opportunities, but Ultimately, could have you developed a couple of those guys? Would have they developed okay? And and you had a couple veteran, really good defensive backs? You you don't know. And and those are things that – those are choices they made as well. Compete the – you know, stay, compete the player, whatever that stuff was. You know, like I I think that that's fine. But there is a – there is something to be said for building uh, and developing within your own program. And, um, you know, the other thing that would have really been helpful right now is if – you know, D'Antonio was great at identifying defensive backs and, and developing them. And if, you know, he had, if on, on the way out, there had been one more, you know, Josiah Scott or, you know, obviously Darquez Denard, one more guy that really was a, a terrific player at that position that they were able to, or, or somebody had developed into it. I'm not saying any of those guys would have been that because Josiah Scott was it early. Darquez Denard was it pretty early. And and you sort of know it. And um, but I think there is, you know, one of the things that like Mel Tucker likes guys who look the part getting off the bus. That's a big thing you hear all the time. This, this program looks different. And I'm going to tell you right now is, is is I think Amir Speed is a nice player, but you would rather have Josiah Scott 10 out of 10 times. And and so and that guy doesn't look the part getting off the bus, you know, and, and there are guys um you know, throughout, Denico's Allen doesn't look the part getting off the bus. There isn't one player on Michigan State's defense right now that you would take over Denico's Allen. And so, like, there are guys who are amazing college football players that don't look the part. And I'm not saying Tucker doesn't want those guys. Tucker would happily have Denico's Allen. He would happily have Josiah Scott. But there is, I think, the, the portal is not always uh, giving you back better than what you had, and that's what we're learning. But would he have but would he have offered them? He would
0: love to have them knowing what they did in college, but coming out of high school, would he have offered either of those guys? They were both considered too undersized to go to Ohio State. In in when I'm talking about with Danico Salen and Josiah Scott. I think I think there's also you know, with the portal, I think that you know, it's part of you know, there's so many changes that are going on right now within college sports. At some point, this could be a, there may be a course correction back to where it's a normal thing when bringing guys in and trying to blend and having more of like almost the NFL free agency with it. But right now, it's it's tough. Uh, you know, I mean, I think it's I think there's some chemistry that's lost. Uh, By not having guys who have been there for three, four years going through and, you know, going through the camps and saying, hey, you remember when uh, player X did this in camp when we were freshmen and now we're juniors and now we're seniors. Um, There's chemistries and bonds that are built that, you know, right now these kids, that's what they knew. So now uh, there's going to be some course correction to that at some point. But, uh, you know, you're in kind of flux with that. But, you're, you know, you brought up one guy that I think would have been a significant piece this year in Michael Dow. Because if, if, if you know, you have Xavier Henderson going down, you have Darius Snow going down, Michael Dowell is a guy who could have floated between safety or linebacker. Um, you know, the ability to play either of those spots with how they were doing it, and that's – they don't have another – they didn't have another one of those kind of guys to replace Darius Snow.
2: and, and At least not
0: – at least not an experienced guy. They they may have some someone coming up. I mean, guys like Caleb Coley, um, you know, even a a guy I've heard like AJ Kirk, you know, he hasn't really been talked about at all. But they brought him in thinking, you know, he's got those linebacker hybrid safety kind of skills, you know. But those those guys clearly aren't ready or else they'd be playing right now over over Halliday and Van Summer and linebacker. No, or he's- in the secondary they'll so banged up.
2: Yeah, and that, one of the hard things is, and this this is where you wonder if you'll get a course crusher or not. We'll see on their experiences. Like Kalon Gervin's playing for a really good um, Kansas team that's having a fun year right now, and he's starting some week. Like he, he's not, he's in the exact same position he was at Michigan State, where you know at Michigan State he left because he kind of got replaced as a starter, but he was a sometimes starter, and he might have worked his way back in. And, and guys used to, oh, you got replaced, you gotta you gotta battle it out and get it back, and you got a long time left in your career, you might be the starter again it's so easy to leave because you don't have to sit out and he goes to Kansas and, and I'm reading the stuff on Kansas and it's him or somebody else where well, they start somebody else started like he's in the same exact spot at Michigan's at Kansas that he was at MSU and and so that that's the other component of this that this isn't like Mel Tucker ran no Mel Tucker did not tell uh Durbin that you, you have to leave after week four you know so that that's the other thing the, the compete to play compete to stay thing that um, I, I think you know that needs to be modified, also. But but please keep competing. keep With all, of this, no, though, no, no, no.
0: even with all this, though, even with all this, it comes down to it comes down to something that Tucker says: it's a production business. It doesn't yeah. matter what the course correction is, will be, should be. It doesn't matter if guys are leaving. It's if it, it's a production business, and right now neither side of the ball is producing. And then you see the results like Saturday against Minnesota and you know, the the first half at, at Washington.
1: A few minutes ago, you guys rattled off, or Chris, I should say, rattled off a bunch of names who have left the program since Mel Tucker got here. I will say that we have reached uh, the four-game threshold this year, and I don't think we've seen anybody announce they were entering the transfer portal unless I completely missed it. So I guess that's a good sign maybe for this year, or, or is there anything there?
0: To a valid know, it's valid point. I mean, yep, it, yep. It, it, if four games, though, it's a, you, it had to have played in four games. I guess, right. you know, we'll see at Maryland, right? You know, if, if if a guy's not there or a couple guys aren't there, then the question's going. I mean, it's, there's also been a little bit of a tightening of the transfer portal uh, access to to the well, media this, as so well. Well, here's,
2: and here's well, the other thing. I don't think you can be in the portal right now because of the changing. So you can – have Intentions that too, yeah. So, this is what happened to Boise State quarterback, I believe. Because of the new windows, you can have intentions to transfer, but you won't be in the portal right now. It's going to get harder to know when guys are surely going, um, but or or, or intend to be in the portal, I think, because the, the portal windows are are going to be what they are. That's still the four game rules still exist, so there will be people you know deciding, uh, you know, based on that and 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 whatnot, but. Um, you know, and you, you, but you do, you do keep an eye on, yeah, you, you do wonder who doesn't show one of these weeks and that sort of thing. That four game rule definitely makes things, uh, makes things interesting. I mean, I think it's a good rule. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a great way. I love that a true freshman who isn't ready early in the year, or you only need for a couple weeks because of an injury, um, is able to get their feet wet, play, fill in a place you need, and then not lose that whole year of eligibility. I mean, I think it's a fantastic rule, but the, the the side note of that, and and it also gives guys more time to look at where they fit on a roster and to make judgments. And so I have no problem with it, but it does, this is definitely an interesting uh, interesting time.
1: Yeah, I guess I'll rephrase my initial statement to say, at least we haven't heard any whispers uh, right. that anybody is uh, planning to, to leave the program. Well, let's move to, to the Maryland game here a little bit. Uh, in last week's episode... We, we talked a little bit about how experienced Minnesota was with you know so many fifth and sixth years players excuse me fifth and sixth year players and that and that really showed in the game Saturday is this a similar situation for for Maryland at all I mean technically, Ivo is feels like he's been there for six years but uh I, I guess I can't speak for the rest of the roster
0: it's a build I mean you know Loxley's done a good job of getting them getting them more talent and getting them a little deeper and you know, kind of more of a traditional build. Um, They've added guys here and there, but um, Minnesota was a little bit of an abnormality with how many six-year guys. I mean, that's, you know, that's 19-year-old guys versus 23-year-old guys in football. That's a big difference. I mean, we saw some of that in basketball last year, but it it wasn't nowhere near as glaring as in football when you've got, you know, guys in the trenches that are in their fifth, sixth year that are, you know, that look like grown ass men versus guys who look like they're developing college players. Um, you know, I think that was last week, a, a big thing, particularly, I mean, guy like Ibrahim and, and Morgan. I mean, they played a lot of college football already in their life. And, you know, now yes. they get that extra year. I mean, that's a, that's another part of the course correction too. Right. I mean, you got the, the abnormality of having guys that can stay for six years. Um, and, you know, sometimes play five, six years of college football, depending on their injury status. So that's that's something that's different now than it was two years ago, three years ago. So, I, you know, it, it's it, it's crazy right now with the changes in the landscape. There's no question about it. It's so, not just the changes, but so many of them so quickly.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see Maryland up close. Um, you know, there are a few things. They look like they're more solid. Um, they look like they're in a better place. Like you sort of wait for that Maryland collapse every year. You know, with a few years ago they were 4-0 and everybody's excited on a friday night game and penn state came to town and it was 59 nothing and you know that's sort of been the, the 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 cliche about them after after that is that's what that's what they do every year you get excited they have a couple games where they show some speed and, and they looked like a team that could hang in there a lot more last week and i thought that was like that you know the, the, the impressive thing what maryland did against michigan is things didn't go well and they still almost won that game i mean the, they have a kickoff go off a guy's face mask you know, and 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 yeah. you know, and they score to a touchdown start the game. Away. What's you that? Talk, you talk about Michigan State's. You talk about Michigan State's bad start. That
0: was the first yeah. kick of the game. Totally. I mean, and, and you, you know, thirteen, fourteen seconds in, they're down seven, and they they were supposed to have the ball.
2: And they lose. Their, they lose their quarterback, and, and they still have a good drive. Like like there are things like that. And I think Tonka is is going to play um, this week. They've said game time decision, but he says he's one hundred percent. He did his press conference, all that stuff. So I I, I think he's going to play. Um, and I think you know. Again, this is a, and the question I have for Michigan State because the way this I, I don't, like from a passing attack, Maryland is a, a good test, a, a tough deal for them. Um, just like Washington and and uh, Minnesota were with veteran quarterbacks who get it done. And and uh, I, I mean, Washington. I don't think they're going to face a passing t- attack quite like Washington's in terms of scheme and. In quarterback, although Tunka Bailoa and, and Loxley is uh, one of the coaches. I think it was Tucker or or Hazelton this week. Just said I think it was Tucker said it, Loxley is what he does best is pick out the weakness of an opponent defensively, which is not great news for MSU. <laughs> um, but the uh, I think offense. I mean, that's
0: no different. No different than what Flack and what Kalen DeBoer did in the last two weeks.
2: No doubt. And and what what? Um, but I think where this game is also ultimately going to be decided in terms of what it whether it's competitive is MSU's offense, and can they run the football to any degree? And in games where they're able to, I think they're going to be absolutely fine. And games where they're not, there's, there's a real issue right now, right? So that, that's something we'll find out pretty early. Michigan, obviously, with a better offensive line than Michigan State has, and, and a very good back and Blake Corum, had success there. Um, but it wasn't like they gashed them throughout the game. It wasn't like this complete sieve that Maryland was. But I do think that's telling. If Michigan State cannot run the ball like they couldn't the last two weeks against Maryland to help their offense stay on the field, because that's a big component of this. You know, we, we joke about what Kenneth Walker did for the program. This It was all-encompassing in the sense that when the defense, the defense gave up a whole heap of yards last year, but at least, and, and they were able to stiffen in the red zone, and they came up with turnovers, which they're not now as much, or at least interceptions. But the difference was they weren't on the field that often, because when they did get off the field, Kenneth Walker and the offense put a drive together, and that he he just permeated the swagger of the whole team, and they you know, and so they need that offense to be responsive, to to have its own drives, to, to keep them in the game to not feel like they're constantly you know backpedaling and, and trying to just stay afloat here and, and so I, I to me can michigan state run the football can this offense and we'll, we'll see what the weather how that impacts things put together drives and, and keep pace that to me is is, is going to be really really interesting to watch i'll, I'll i want to correct you on
0: one thing you did say that they they were they were able to stay on the field and sustain drives if you forget that how quick strike they were early in the year, particularly that's true. how many, one, two, three, four play drives they had with, you know, less than two minutes of possession time. But those resulted in points and it's different for a defense when you got points on the board and you have to go back out there and you're getting gassed. You still got the scoreboard, whether or not they want to say they look at the scoreboard or not. That's, that's a lie. Everybody looks to scoreboard. And there's a difference on a defense when you know you're playing with a lead versus oh boy we're down two touchdowns already and we've been on the field for 12 minutes I mean it's there there's a significant difference with that and I mean Walker last year did a lot of that on his own I mean you know you think about that first play I mean he had good blocking from guys but it wasn't like the offensive line was putting together 14 play six to eight minute drives like Minnesota did I mean it it was it was sometimes those quick strike things and what Walker did, and it's funny because there was the one play against Akron that I think sums up the difference. Is they tried to run that flea flicker that worked how many times last year? Because you had guys in the box waiting on Kenneth Walker, and he was you knew he could bounce out, and you knew he, you had to watch sideline to sideline with him. When you run Berger or Broussard to run a flea flicker, linebackers were coming at Peyton Thorne in a hurry. And they hit him, when he, and I think he threw the pick on that in that game because he got hit. But that, that flea is not going to work without a run game. Those kind of trick plays aren't going to work without having the established run game. And when you've got two running backs in Berger and Broussard who've combined for 66 yards on 27 carries in the last two games, that's that's not good. That's not good at all. I think they've got 80, 80 total rushing yards um, in the past two games. And, you know, some of that is Thorne uh, as well. So, I mean, that's 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 critical. And, you know, they talked about it going into the Minnesota game that they had to set the tone with physicality up front and they weren't able to do that. You absolutely need to be able to do that from the, whenever you get the ball um, in the first quarter to do that. I mean, up front, quickly. I mean, because there's not a lot of time to, you know, talk talk about – just the understanding of knowing where the scoreboard is, and we got we're running out of time. Well, you shouldn't feel like you're running out of time in the first quarter, or going into the second quarter. And I think that's part of where the last two games have been for Michigan State.
1: We, Chris, we I, I think we have talked every week about uh, about the offensive line, and you know I was just looking, you know, on twenty four seven going back through the past couple of recruiting classes, and you know looking at the offensive line and everything, and like all oh, those guys it doesn't seem like they're playing that much. So I don't know if those guys aren't getting developed to the point where they need to be, but uh, if the offensive line is, is the issue with, with, with the run game, I mean, it, it, does it feel like there's any sort of changes that, that the team can make at this point? Because to me, the answer feels like no. It feels like they, they've either exhausted all their options or they've considered all of the options. I, I mean, what's 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 the fix there?
0: I mean, I, I think they pretty much only went about six deep last week. That kind of tells you something.
1: Yeah, that's I not, mean, it's not great. You know, even
0: Brand, even the guy like Brandon, Brandon Baldwin started the first game and, you know, has been kind of MIA. Haven't really seen him the last few weeks. Brian Green's the only backup that's really been in there. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, again, it's like like we were talking about on the defensive side with some of those younger defensive backs and linebackers. Um, you, you know, the the offensive line is the guys that take the longest to develop because of the need for physical size and strength, um, and particularly as we were mentioning, you know, the more fifth- and sixth-year guys that are on the other side of the ball, you know, a, an 18-year-old freshman, um, you know, like, uh, you know, like a, uh, Ethan Boyd or uh, Vandemark or Wigginton. I mean, they have to go, You you're going to throw them in against grown men, you know, guys that normally would be playing pro football right now. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there is a quick fix with that. I mean, I think you just kind of have to – Either, either those guys are going to progress, and you get them soaked, and you know let them take their lumps for the future, or you just go with the older veteran guys that they got right now who are struggling. I don't know. It's it's a heck of a, a conundrum that, that Chris Capilovitch is in right now uh, to kind of you know they they brought in some younger guys that that they really are high on, but you know you, you can be high on them for the future. You know, and I think that's kind of the, the problem with, you know, you, you build a buzz in recruiting, but it's still, you, you can't, it's like the opposite end of, of no one's the father time is undefeated, right? You know, until that physical clock catches up and, you know, gets you to the point where you can compete at the highest level against grown men, um, you kind of just got to wait it out.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a little discouraging that I think this you alluded to this too. All these all these offensive linemen; these are all veteran guys. Maybe the exception of at least maybe the exception of Spencer Brown in terms of how many games played before the season. But you know, Carrick, Samak, Duplain, Horst—all tons of college football games underneath their belts heading into this year, and uh, it doesn't feel like the Spartans are seeing the fruits of that at all.
0: And again, it, it, it people, I guess fans are kind of maybe they were hoping for similar lighting in a bottle from a year ago, but these were the issues going into the year. And these are the same issues that everybody had identified in camp that they needed to correct and fix and get better at out of the gate. And they're not. So that's kind of why you have things stumbling and, and starting to, I don't want to say fall apart, but looking like it's, it's standing on the edge of a cliff right now. I mean, it's the problems that everybody knew would be problems. Um, and there are problems that, you know, in, in football sense, if you can't defend the pass right now in the, in, the, in this era of the offense, pass-heavy offense, if you can't block up front, no matter what you're trying to do, um, you're going to take some hits. You're going to take some lumps, and you're going to take some L's. And, you know, that's that's the reality of it.
1: Yeah, it, it, you talk about, uh, you know, defending the pass. Yeah. Uh... It seems like Michigan State uh, keeps running into veteran quarterbacks this year. It reminds me a little bit of during basketball season when it seemed like every other team in the Big Ten had a big man and just completely took advantage uh, of the Spartans in the post. and We're seeing that with quarterbacks and, and the Spartans' pass defense. So
0: The interesting thing, too, is that the first two weeks, they faced a guy who was a first-year starter in Jack Salopak for Western Michigan, and then week two, Against Akron, their D.J. Irons was moving the ball, and then he gets hurt, and then he's on an inexperienced backup for three-quarters of that game. So you got a little bit – you know, they had 12 sacks in those first two games, a little bit of fool's gold based on the quarterbacks they were facing. Because everybody – because they're not Michael Penix. They're not Tanner Morgan. Certainly not Tua. They're certainly not C.J. Stroud. And I mean, that, that, no. that quartet right there. And then you got – after that, you got Wisconsin and you got Michigan, who have – Veteran line that you know that help younger quarterbacks or help you know guys that that aren't as experienced or aren't as good look better. So yeah, I mean it's the competition stepped up and so the the quarterback play that they got to face. So I mean it's a big it's a big change to going from what they saw the first two weeks to these these last two and then the next two.
1: Yeah, you know obviously Penix and Morgan lit up the Spartan defense, and those guys aren't even Heisman candidates like uh, C.J. Stroud and uh depending on how you feel about Michigan's quarterback uh is, is one as well so um it'll be interesting to see if if it's even possible for them to to get things right in the defensive secondary um you guys got a chance to, you mentioned this earlier and I know you, get, you guys wrote about this too you guys had a chance to talk to Scotty Hazelton uh th- this week uh I mean was his you know explanations or thoughts about where this team's heading was it convincing at all or
2: I mean, here's the thing. I, I thought there was one thing I wish I had asked that I, that I did not. Um, and that was just, I, I think one thing that would help him and and is to, like, explain to a layman, right? Or to the dumbest media person in the room and pretend they're here. What your defense is and what your philosophy and hopes are to get out of it. I think people need to hear that. And because they need to hear what the, the ultimate goal is. <laughs> there's concerns there that this is like, so, you know, Benba don't break. And, and they're always going to give up a lot of yards. And this is just, and uh, you know, there's no, no, never going to be press coverage. And even though there was some, they played some man at times and they've done some things and that hasn't worked. Um, he does sound like a man who has defensive answers, but not for this team. And, and I don't know, you know, and you know, it is, it is, he mentioned it's a collaboration with Mel Tucker and, 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 uh, you know, Harlan Barnett. I don't think any of them right now have great answers. I don't know that what they're doing, it, it's clearly not not working for this group. Is there something that would work for this group at a time? The, the, the problem you have is you, you can't scrap a system midseason very easily. Uh, that just doesn't work. Right. I mean, this is what you practice, this is what you teach. Uh, it's it, so. And you can change, you can simplify, you can change your approach, um, and and sometimes defenses that aren't that talented develop a bit of a swagger. Last year's being one of them, right? And and you start to have things go well. I covered one. I lived in Kalamazoo, by the way. We're covered Western Michigan. <laughs> I co- I covered a defense that, that that had all sorts of swagger when uh, um, Scott Schaefer was the coordinator. Who's now at Middle Tennessee, which just upset Miami. Um, And that was a very simplistic, aggressive defense, and they were getting home, and they started to feel real good about themselves, and it was effective for that group. But that sense of swagger or confidence began early. It's very hard to repurpose that. It's very hard to get just trucked for a couple weeks, and then find that and so that I, I, it's a really tough spot because they've got to help those guys find confidence more than anything right now their job is to help those guys find confidence and then there's the other side of that too do you
0: throw the baby out with the bathwater? because if, this, if you're committed to running the 4 5 and playing the way that, that you want to play do you change that simply for now versus knowing that you need to do this and guys need to get the experience in the scheme and with the responsibilities of the defense as it is, um, do you keep them running it regardless of whether they are struggling with it? I mean, I, I, that's, it's a fascinating X's and O's and versus philosophy question right there because if, if your defensive philosophy changes with the wind, um, and I'm talking the base defensive philosophy here, um, what are you doing for the long term, right? I mean, you know, how are these guys getting ready to play that long term if they can't? If, if you keep shifting around what you're doing now, I don't know. I mean, it's it's not an easy. There's not an easy answer to that. I don't think either.
1: On that note let's uh take a look here and see what we think in terms of seeing if they can change things on saturday both our uh, weekly predictions uh graham i will start with you will the spartans right the ship and pull one out here at maryland or will things continue going south
2: i think they'll play better um you know uh, but i'm not picking them to win i think i have just seen too much i think you the evidence from the last two weeks, both with Maryland and Michigan State, does not point to that. Like if you if you're picking MSU this week, I think you're 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 counting on something that that does hasn't existed. However, I I do think like inside of eight and a half, you know, I I, I think that they will, I think they got a shot at that. I, I think I think they'll be competitive. I, I think they're going to lose inside of a score. Um, but so I, I yeah, competitive game like uh, something in the realm of you know,
1: uh, 30 to, to 23.
2: Chris, I, it, it's
0: really hard for me for a couple reasons to kind of wrap my head around it. One, obviously to his injury. You know, he can say he's a hundred percent. Um, they can trot him out there in a knee brace at practice and, and give a look like he's going to play. Um, but we don't know, we won't know until game time. um, particularly because of the conditions, too. I mean, do you want to put a quarterback out there with a bad knee? It's a 60% chance of rain right now for Saturday, and there's no telling what the, the storm coming up is going to do, and do you really want to risk a quarterback's long-term health in a situation like that, uh, particularly a guy who's as dynamic as, as Tago Vailoa? I don't know. Um, that, that obviously compounds things. And then on the other side, if it does rain like that, Where's Michigan State's defensive line? Because it become all of a sudden becomes more of a ground game, and your defensive line is decimated with injuries, Um, and you're relying on those second and third tier guys on the edge and in the middle to to try and shut down a potential run, run, run game between all both of these teams. So, I mean, you know, it's subject to change. I think by game time just simply with a lot of those factors. But I, I, kind of agree with Graham that I think that Maryland's got a little bit more right now. They're at home. Um, you know, I, I, am I, leaning towards around, I, you know, if it all things were perfect, I would probably put that high of a score like Graham did, but I think this might end up being like a 21 17 kind of game or, you know, one score, but you know, a lot of running the ball, um, you know, depending on on how things shake out, so I, and that's that's kind of wishy-washy. But this is there's so many factors that that right now, as as of as we record this on Thursday, are still so up in the air for this game. And it, it it's one of those rare ones. And I'm curious to see where that line ends up at right before kickoff, too, because those things will all play a factor in that.
1: Well, obviously, the line was is- boosted. Well, combination of how bad the Spartans were against Minnesota and the impressive Maryland performance against about but I don't know if those were, especially the Maryland was an outlier or whatnot. But uh, I'm not picking the Spartans to win a game until they actually win one because I think we just need to see something and. Uh, I mean I've gone back and forth in my head about the rain. It's like, well, that means if it's if it actually is raining or pouring, then Michigan State's pass defense won't get exposed. But then it's like Minnesota also ran all over them last week too. It's just like I don't know what to think. But uh I will I will take Minnesota to win.
0: If you're struggling to make tackles and stay on your feet in dry conditions, how are you gonna do it <laughs> in wet conditions?
1: Yeah, you're not you're not wrong. So uh for the moment I will take the Spar- or the uh uh the terrapins to win and cover, but uh, we'll see what happens there. All right. Any final thoughts before we sign off here?
0: I'll throw a little quick basketball in there, um, just as kind of the wrap up. Um you know, we had Tom Izzo, they opened practice and Malik Hall was out with a toe injury, supposed to only be out for a week or two. Um but still that's you know, they're already depleted with eight you know, right now eight guys on the court that are scholarship players with, with Hall and, and Jaden is the other two um, of the 10 who are, who are out with injuries. So, um,
2: but there's a lot of time to talk about basketball. So I just thought I would throw those in there real quick. It can be an interesting weekend because like, like I said earlier, I think it, it I think there's a lot riding on it in terms of where this, where the season goes. And we're no longer talking whether the season is nine and three, 10 and two or seven and five. We're talking about whether this team can, you know, find a way to be a, type of team that gets to bowl eligible or whether this is a really rough campaign. So I think this week will help show us a lot of that.
1: All right. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan speak a production of the Lansing state journal, Detroit free press and the USA today network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com Freep.com, and on Twitter at Chris Solari at Graham underscore couch at Phil underscore friend and LSJ green white. Thanks for listening.
0: Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left.